0: most great or the the single most lesson that you and I need to learn in life is how to love like Jesus. We started a series several weeks ago and we took a look at what real love is and basically if I had to summarize that it would be this way that real biblical love, Christ-like love is selfless. It doesn't think of itself. And then we talked about last week we talked about How to love those who hate you the week before that, how to love your gay neighbors, okay? Today we're gonna talk about how love is comforting. When Jesus was on the cross, Mary, his mother, and John were at the foot of the cross. And the story of comfort goes like this. If you have a Bible, you can turn to John 19, 25 through 27. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary and the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple John, whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. To understand kinda of what's going on here, you need to realize that Mary at this point was a widow. Joseph, her husband, had died earlier tradition tells us that she was a widow 12 years past the crucifixion of her son Jesus that during those 12 years John took care of her why because Jesus said hey you two I want you to link up together Mary I want you to Mary John is your son and John Mary is your mother Now that little story in those few verses may seem unimportant, especially from the cross when Jesus is dying for the world. But folks, it is very, very important because what he is doing there is he is showing deep concern for people like you and I when we are in pain. He is showing compassion and comfort and care and concern. He is showing tenderness. He is showing love. From this passage, these few verses, we learn a couple of things. We learn how to love like Jesus loves. And we learn what Jesus does when we're in pain. Now, what I'm in hopes to teach you and I over this next 30 minutes, okay, it's going to take more than just human power to do. And you will understand that when we come to the end of this message. It is going to take supernatural power, folks, for you and I to really love like Jesus loves. So let's jump into this. To love like Jesus, first of all, you and I must care for our families, our own families. Now, why is that? Because love isn't just something that you say. It is something that you do. It is an action, it is a choice. Here, Jesus is in the middle of his crucifixion, okay? He's in a great amount of pain, and what does he do? He, he does three things. He notices his mom, he meets practical needs, and he gives emotional support. The very first thing Jesus does in loving his own family is that he notices his mother, Mary. He gives her attention, Attention is one of the greatest gifts that you can give a person. It is far more valuable than money. And I say that because attention, when you give attention, you are giving your life. When you give attention, you are giving your time. And your time is your life. And imagine the scene that's going on here as Jesus does this. There's this big crowd. Jesus is on the cross. Mary is at the foot of the cross. There's all kinds of chaos that's going on around his crucifixion. And two pairs of eyes lock on to one another. Jesus sees Mary. And Mary sees Jesus. Folks, that's attention. It's kind of like when my grandkids come into the building and if it's Andrew, my youngest one, you always hear, Grandpa! And my eye's just right there on on Andrew. We're just locked in on one another. That is what's going on here. You see, there's another word for attention that I think is very important to, to realize and that is this, respect. If you don't show people attention, you don't respect them. You may say that you respect them But if you don't pay attention to them, guess what? You don't. And Jesus, the first thing that he does in showing love to his own family is that he shows attention. And he shows attention to his mom publicly. And I would have you know that back then, you just didn't do that for women. You just didn't do that. Women were second class, even if they were that high, okay? But Jesus does it. And he does it to fulfill one of the commandments, in Exodus 15, or Exodus 20, verse 12, it says, honor your father and mother. And that is what Jesus is doing as he, in essence, is breathing his last breath. He lifts up women, and he always did that. The second way that he showed attention to his own family was that he met practical needs. That's what he's doing here, isn't it? He, he turns to, to his mom and says, mom, John, he's your son. And John, by the way, Mary is your mother. Do you know what he's doing there at that moment? He is speaking his last will and testament. Like I said, Mary was a widow, and she was poor as a church mice. And what Jesus does is he gives her what he has. And folks, Jesus didn't have a whole lot at this time. In fact, he didn't have anything virtually throughout his whole life. He had no money. And by the way, he didn't even have the clothes that were on his back because it had already been raffled off, okay? Okay. But he gives her in his last will and testament what he had. And that was his friendship with his beloved friend named John. Now notice what the Bible says about meeting practical needs with our families in 1 Timothy 5, 3 and 4. Show respect for widows who really are all alone. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, they should learn first to carry out their religious duties towards their own family and in this way repay their parents and grandparents because that is what pleases God. You see, I'm sure all of us here would know and realize that we are to meet the needs of our kids, but do we really know and understand that we are to meet the needs of our parents and our grandparents? Love begins at home. Paul, again, in 1 Timothy 5.8 says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Folks, when I, when I visit people who are in the hospitals and I see members of our families caring for their parents and their grandparents, I always like to affirm them and say, I want you to know you're being Christ right now. You are affirming the Christian faith that you are to care for widows and orphans, that you are to care for your own family. And I know for some of you, that is a challenge. Some of you, when you go to visit maybe a parent or a grandparent, they have Alzheimer's or some kind of dementia, and as you are with them that hour, they just say the same things 15 times within that hour, and it can be frustrating. But as you show patience to them, you are being Christ. The third way that Jesus showed attention or love in his family is that he gave emotional support. You see, this scene between Jesus and Mary, with Jesus on the cross, folks, is a very tender moment. Can you imagine being a mom and seeing your son being crucified on the cross? Can you imagine what Mary was going through? It was a tender moment. But it was also a very emotionally painful moment for Mary. In fact, Mary's whole life was filled full of pain. She had an unexpected birth that brought rejection and ridicule. When she brought her son in for dedication into the temple, eight days later, there was this wise priest, Simeon, who told Mary, by the way, your son's going to suffer, and you're going to suffer. Moms, how would you like to go to a baby shower and have that told to you? And then a few years later, Herod tries to kill her son. And then when Jesus starts his ministry, people are ridiculing and criticizing his ministry. Folks, I've seen some of you as parents when your kids get criticized by someone else. You know what happens? The hair goes up on the back of your neck, or straight up. On top of all that, Jesus or Mary is watching her son be crucified on the cross. She had deep emotional needs. Notice what the Bible says about this. In John 17, 17, friends love through all kinds of weather and families stick together in all kinds of trouble. Will you circle the phrase stick together? You see, this is the third way that you and I show love to our families. We stick together, we stand up for one another, we show up. My father-in-law who's passed away would say it like this, hey, we're just gonna circle the wagons, George, when life comes at us. And again, it's easy to do that for our kids. But do we do that in our families? Let me just speak to the husbands for a moment. Husbands, do you do that for your wife or wives? You see, the Bible says that we are to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? He laid down his life for it. Folks, I can tell you this, I flunk at this one. I feel like I love my wife to death, but I don't love my wife like Christ loved the church. Now, I know that for some of us, we, we don't like the fact that God paints marriage with the husband as the leader of the family. But understand this. He, when he does that, he's not saying that one is more or one is superior to the other. He's just saying you can't have two leaders. That's all he's saying. But he's saying as a leader of a family, guys, husbands, you are called to sacrificial living in loving your spouse. I am commanded to lay down my life for my wife. And when you and I do that as husbands, we are loving like Christ would call us to love. And so my question to us husbands is this, does your wife know that you would take out the trash for her. That you would clean the toilets for her. That you would clean up the house on, the, on your day off that you would like to go out and golf because the kids are coming over that evening. You see, God says this, I want you to love your spouse the way I loved you. And I want you to do it in a personal, practical, and I want you to do it in a positive way. So if I'm gonna to learn to love like Jesus, I've gotta first start with my family. The second thing that we learn from these, this story is that if you're gonna practice loving, I must treat other believers as my family. Now this is going deeper. You see, it's one thing to love your own. It's a deeper thing to love and treat other believers in your spiritual family Life Point Church, okay, is actual family. Yes, you must care for your family, but you must care for more than just your family. Why? Because unbelievers can do that. I mean, what, what testimony is that of Christ in your life if you're just doing what unbelievers do? It's not a testimony at all. Now, you have heard me say this, that blood is thicker than water, and that is true, isn't it? But grace is thicker than genetics. Your your physical family will not last forever, but your spiritual family will. And the Bible says that if we're in the same family and we are together seeking to do the will of the Father, we are related to one another. Jesus mentioned that in Matthew 12, 20. Paul elaborates on that thought in 1 Timothy 5, one through two. Notice this. Do not rebuke an older man that is in the church but appeal to him as your father. Treat the younger men as your brothers. Treat the older women as mothers and treat the younger women as sisters with all purity. You see, in our spiritual family, I have a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ. I have a few spiritual fathers who are older than I am, but I have no spiritual moms. You might say, well, why is that, Pastor George? Because I have not met a woman in this church who's admit that she is old. I thought about that all while I was in Haiti. I'm glad you laughed at it, okay? You see, in essence, what Paul is saying here is that if you are a genuine believer, you are responsible to serve older believers, and you are responsible for mentoring younger believers. Do you think of your life, 360, up, down, and sideways? Because that's what he's saying here. We're responsible for both of those things. Now it's interesting to me as you go through the Gospels that there is some real symmetry that's going on in this relationship. Jesus leaned on Mary as a baby. John leaned on on Jesus as a disciple and now Jesus is telling them to lean on each other. This is a picture of devotion. Take a look at Romans chapter 12 verse 10. Be devoted to each other like a loving family. Excel at showing respect for each other. It's being devoted, where we lean on one another. Now, I want to point out something that might go uh, by us. The Bible teaches us that Jesus had other half brothers and half sisters. He had four half-brothers and two half-sisters. And it's interesting to me that while Jesus is dying on the cross, he does not entrust the care of his mom to his half-brothers and sisters. Why? Because in John 7, 5, it says that they weren't believers yet. Jesus's half-brothers and sisters didn't become believers until after the resurrection. And so Jesus doesn't entrust the care of his mom to them. He entrusts it To John who is a mature believer take a look at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 whenever we have the opportunity to help anyone we should do it but we should give special attention to those who belong to the family of believers what kind of special attention do we give them we give them emotional support Take a look at Galatians chapter six and verse two. Share each other's troubles and problems and in this way obey the law of Christ. Now you know what I'm gonna say next. It's gonna be the little sermonette on being in a biblical community called a small group or a life group or a Bible study. You can't do this without being in one. You gotta be involved in community because there are gonna be times in your life where you're sick, where where you may be in some financial crisis, where you may be struggling with aged parents, as Cheryl and I did, where you're gonna need the support. And I can tell you this, I'm so glad that Cheryl and I, when Wayne passed away a number of years ago but was in a, a, a rest home, that her brothers, spiritual brothers, showed up. She's got a brother lives in Kansas City. Couldn't be there. But her spiritual brothers were. And that relationship that she has with those spiritual brothers of hers has impacted her life for all eternity. So if I'm going to learn to love like Jesus, I've got to care for my own family. And I've got to treat other believers as my own family. The third thing is this. I must learn to see others' pain even when I'm in pain. Remember, I told you that to love like Christ takes more than human power. It takes a supernatural power. It takes God's power, and especially when you are in pain. Folks, when I'm in pain, it's not in my nature to be thinking of other people, but biblical Christ-like love is selfless across the board 24-7. When I am in pain, I am totally absorbed in myself. I am like a little baby who just cries. And Cheryl has seen this as I am over the throne, hugging it and spewing out my guts. She's just, She doesn't have the gift of mercy when it comes to me doing that, okay? <laughs> oh, mercy. But we're all that way, aren't we? When we're in pain, we're all self-centered. But God says, if you really want to learn what real love is all about, Christ-like love, you got to learn to see the pain of others while you're in pain. Think about this. Jesus is on the cross. He's dying. He is in tremendous amount of pain, physical pain, emotional pain, uh, mental pain, spiritual pain. His lifeblood is being drained from him. Within a few moments, he's going to be dead. But what does Jesus do? He notices the pain of others. He notices the pain of the criminal and says, hey, by the way, you're gonna be with me in paradise. He notices the pain of his companion and his mom and says, hey, you two link up together. He notices the pain of the community because he says, father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Folks, he's not thinking of himself even in his agony. And the Bible has called us to have that same kind of attitude. In Philippians 2.5, it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Simply this, it means that when I'm in pain, I am still to look who, to, to others who might be worse off than I am. This is a hard one. This really is really, this takes supernatural power from God. How do you do this? Take a look at 1 Peter chapter four, verse one. Since Christ suffered and underwent pain, you must have the same attitude he did. You must be ready to suffer too. For remember, when your body suffers, sin loses its power. You see, what Peter is saying there is, what take whatever situation you're in the pain that you're going through and suffer. Continue to suffer and entrust that pain to God as you use it to minister to other people. I cannot tell you how many times God has used Cheryl and I as we've been going through whatever painful situation it is, And not that my pain is great like yours. In fact, I know the pain that goes on in the walls of this church and there are far greater things going on in, in our lives as a church family than goes on in my wife and I's life. But there have been times in our relationship where we've been going through relational pain, where we've been going through pain with one of our kids because of choices they've made, or we've going through a painful extended family situation as maybe moms and dads were getting older and were passing way right before our very eyes and what i would say that we have learned and how to get through those things is simply this you've got to help others i'm going to do a whole series on suffering after easter i'm gonna help us understand how you walk through pain and suffering so that you can be christ even to others in your relational world with your hurt you see you don't wallow in your pain You use it to help other people. And so I must learn to see others' pain when I'm in pain. But then there's the last one, the final one is this. To love like Jesus, I must meet others' needs. Not just be aware, but meet others' needs, even if mine aren't met. Folks, it's interesting to me, as Jesus was on the cross at this moment, he doesn't say, you know what? I can't meet your needs right now because I'm in just too much pain. And by the way, you maybe haven't noticed this, but I'm, I'm being crucified and I am doing the most important act in human history. I can't tell you how many business leaders, I don't care whether they're religi- religious or corporate, that are allowing their families to go hell in a handbasket as they seek to save the world corporately or religiously. Jesus is doing the most important thing in human history, and what does he do? He stops to meet people's needs. He met the criminal's need. He met his companion and his mom's need. He met the needs of the community. He didn't say, you know what, my purpose is so great, I just can't stop to meet that need. What I am teaching you right now is counterculture. You see, if the president of the United States was in this motorcade and he saw somebody who had a flat tire by the side of the road, we would not expect the president to stop, would we, to fix that tire? We wouldn't. Because the world says, you're too important, you got other things to do. But Jesus... God himself, fulfilling and completing the most important act in human history, stops and he meets individual needs. I want us to take a look at a story of a guy named Larry Johnson who was helped through one of our partners of outrun homelessness, Samaritan Inn. Let's listen to his story.
1: I was born in Texarkana, Texas. Uh, grew up in Hooks, which is a small town about 14 miles outside of Texarkana. We were a very normal, middle-class family. Was playing the piano and the organ at the Methodist Church there in Hooks. Decided on music as a major in college. Got my degree in music and uh, in voice and piano from Stephen F. Austin University in Nacogdoches. That's when I went to work at Memorial Drive Methodist down in Houston. It's the third largest Methodist church in the U.S. Life was at its absolute very best at that time. Everything seemed to be going very, very well for them. That's where the next chapter began. My wife got sick and went in the hospital and and, uh, in a very short period of time died. She was 28 years old. They had a three-year-old daughter at home. I went from the absolute mountaintop to just the pits of depression in, in a very quick, short amount of time. A year or two later, after two or three jobs, uh, I had gotten married during that time, and the alcohol started interfering with the home life, the, the divorce that came and at that point, pretty well put an end to all of it. It took it all away. The music died, the joy of being around the kids died. Uh, I didn't didn't want to be there.
2: I desperately wanted to go with him because he was my dad.
1: I didn't know where he was, didn't know where he lived, didn't know if he was on the street. The drugs and alcohol took my life over to the point that that's all I cared about. There was a period of, I would say, four to five years of homelessness. So I was living in a cardboard box up underneath the bridge. I didn't care.
2: I missed him. God, I missed him. You know, I mean, he was my dad. Is this lifestyle gonna kill him? Am I ever gonna see my dad again? Am I ever gonna get my dad back?
1: It was a near suicide that took me out from under the bridge and put me in a hospital. At the hospital, they dragged me out and cleaned me up. I had made the decision that I wanted my life back
2: So he called and said, you know, I don't have anywhere else to go, can I come home?
1: Her response was, sure, come on home. Uh, You won't be living here.
2: (laughs) I had no idea what I was gonna do with you.
1: She found the Samaritan Inn.
2: This is the place he needs to be. This is the place that can do him the most good.
1: I found myself standing out in front of the inn, here we go, one more time. But uh, as it turned out, it was the, the last time.
2: The caseworkers are huge, a huge part of the program.
0: Somebody needs you to believe in them when they're having trouble believing in themselves.
1: To have a caseworker that was constantly encouraging me, saying, There's a good guy in there, he's just sleeping. We gotta wake him up. They smiled and said, Good morning. You were treated with respect, you were an equal here.
2: The self-confidence, the self-esteem, it started coming back. The Samaritan Inn gave him the ability to be himself again. He knows
0: that he, as a person, has value.
1: Good morning. Always, always. If <laughs> you need anything, dear, you call me, OK?
0: <laughs> Larry is an amazing team member for us. He is my hospitality lead. His ability to uh, just love on people and and be excited about coming to work each day, that became obvious very quickly.
1: We believe in the Holy Spirit. He contributes uh, so much to our church. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! Doing all right, what's going on? (laughs) Larry's a really great guy. He uh, has such a servant's heart. He's a person that is more concerned about others. The work area I'm responsible for is hospitality and greeting. A lot of people made my story happen. This is my chance now to give back and say uh, I'm thankful and grateful for it.
0: Larry is a shining example of the kind of people who come to the Samaritan Inn wanting to change,
2: wanting to make a difference in the world. I watched my dad become himself, and I was thrilled. I, I couldn't have asked for anything more.
1: I'm independent. I'm self-sufficient. I respect the man I see in the mirror, and I couldn't be happier with the way life is. So, uh, yeah.
0: Thank you, Samaritan and, uh Mission accomplished. You see, no matter what you're going through, Christ-like love stops and meets needs. I am so grateful. For our spiritual family, we got our issues, right? I mean, we're an imperfect church, okay? We got all kinds of flops, failures, and fumbles. We got a lot of problems that are going on. But we, as a spiritual family, have decided you know, we're gonna stop and we're gonna meet a legitimate need of those who are the least among us the homeless. And we do that with our outrun homelessness with our partners, Samaritan Inn and six others of them. Today, I want you to give a big round of applause to Larry Johnson, my friend, as we just kind of talk with him a little bit further about this issue. Larry, come on up. Love you, man. Right off the bat,
1: thank you, LifePoint Church, for making that story happen. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Larry. There's probably not an issue that is dearer to my heart other than seeing people get saved (laughs) um, than helping the hurting, the helpless, the hopeless, and now I say the homeless. We live in one of the most affluent areas in the nation, probably in the world. Definitely for Texas, we're at the top. Our church is in an area where homes are a half a million to a million dollars. We drive BMWs and everything else, okay? What does homelessness look like for us in Collin County?
1: Not everyone has a BMW. And a Suzu pickup, maybe. Okay. <laughs> it used to be that the picture of homelessness, when somebody said homeless, you thought about the guy downtown, you know, the one that's standing in the fountain with. Bible in one hand and a bar of soap in the other. The lady pushing the basket with all of her possessions in it. That used to be the homeless. That is not so anymore. They're still there and they'll always be there. But the homeless today because of our economy, because of the, the way things are in 2016, the face of homelessness has changed. It's the lady down the street that went through a bad divorce, and he got the house and the car, uh, you know, the bank account, and she got the kids and the boot. It's it's the dentist or, or, or the, the 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 engineer that lost his job and filed a bankruptcy and ended up losing everything he had. It's the it's the, the soldier coming home from Afghanistan or mm-hmm. Iran, his girlfriend ran off with everything he owned, mm-hmm. and he has nothing the homeless today are sitting beside you in the pew right now it's each other it's it's me and you and and we need to change our perception of who they are and the way that we address them uh,
0: at the first service and while we were together earlier in the week just kind of talking about this thing uh, you mentioned that there was a certain demographic that it's kind of shocking uh, that's out there that's homeless. And can you elaborate on that, Larry? Beyond what
1: I just mentioned, there's another group of people who are homeless in today's world, and it's the first time it's happening in America. It's yeah. happened across the world yeah. for a long time. But it's, it, it's the young people, it's the student. McKinney High, McKinney North, and McKinney Boy, just three of the local high schools, 1,500 kids, when they signed up for school this year, admitted to being homeless. Yeah. Last year the end, believe it or not, as much good as we try to do with your help, 3,500 people turned away who qualified for the program simply because we couldn't help them. There's 150 people sleeping over there right now. 60 of those 150 are children between infancy and 18 years of age. Homelessness is everywhere and it's me and you.
0: Uh, there is a director, I'll call it a, an official, at PISD, James Thomas, that called me uh, last year uh, about a situation of a student that was homeless and wondering to know if we could uh, um, help out. And he informed me, as I've talked with him at other times, he, he's informed me that there are about a thousand students in a year's time that end up in that kind of category. So it's it's a new unfortunately, reality that I think that we're experiencing here. And yet, because of our affluence, we're not aware of it type of a thing. Uh, Larry, I think people would want to know from our church family, you know, what what tumblers fell into place for you to to make this flip, okay, from being disengaged to being engaged with your family as well as society again?
1: You saw the film. I was living on the mountaintop. I truly was And, 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 and having a wonderful life. When I hit the bottom, I think the thing that happened there, your pastor asked me earlier, he said, was there a person that helped change things for you? Did somebody lead you through this? For me, no, there was a hole in me. Mm -hmm. There was an emptiness in me. I had had lived in the spirit and, and, and been in the ministry for 20 plus years. All of a sudden, I woke up that morning after that near suicide, and I realized what all I had lost. Mm-hmm. I realized the size of the darkness and the hole in my life. Basically, what was happening, God was tapping me on the shoulder and saying, Larry, I ain't done with you yet, okay? Yeah. There's things yet to be done. And for me, that was the turning point, when when, when you open yourself up enough to listen, which amazingly enough, in the situation I was in, I actually listened, but I heard God speak, and see, it was the hole in me, it was the emptiness, the darkness that made me change.
0: There's a book I'd encourage you to read called The Hole in the Gospel. It's a great book, just about this. Um, Larry, this is part of my spiritual family. Half of them are on spring break somewhere, probably down in the Caribbean, okay? (laughs) Hope they're in Haiti, okay? But what's on your heart? What would you like to say to LifePoint?
1: Okay. Here's what we need to do. I want to play a little game with you for just a second to try to make a point with you. If your pastor asks you right now, everybody get up, out the back door. You've got 45 minutes to go come up with $50 cash. No credit cards, no no checkbooks okay $50 cash go to the bank go to the ATM whatever raise your hand for me if you could be back in 45 minutes with $50 cash put your hand up in the air I'm not asking you to do that but, uh... might not hurt though huh no <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: well, let's take a break we're okay, going to the offering we <laughs> are going to pass the basket you know, right? <laughs> if you had your hand in the air you are amongst the 15% of the richest people walking on the face of this earth. Russia, the Ukraine, Eastern Europe, Africa, Mexico, South America, India, Bangladesh, the Middle East. The average family in the world today lives on about five to $600 a year I just asked you to run, get 50 bucks out of the ATM and almost everyone in here said, I can do that. You are the most blessed people walking on the face of God's earth. Now then, this is where his sermon and then one of my favorite scriptures comes and, and, and grabs us because God's calling. In the Proverbs, he simply says, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's within you within your power to do so. You just had your hand in the air. It's within your power to make a change. You have an opportunity coming up in just a few days. You've got a fun run. Yeah. uh, Okay. That is to help the homeless in your community. How can you say no? Okay? I need everyone in this room signed up to take part in that. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make a deal. I didn't do this first service. I'll come back over for the fun run. If All of you will go sign up when this service is over, okay? I will be here, and we will do this together. Men of the church, here's your chance, okay? Get your wife, your children, everybody in the neighborhood, the cul-de-sac. If you can't walk this fun run, the children are too small, put them in a wagon, push a stroller, okay? Those of you who can't walk or run... I'm too old, I can't do this. Okay, we have a couch potato class. <laughs> costs you 35 bucks not to run, okay? Everyone gets to take part. But the response that we need to give to the pastor is, yes, I will be here. And I will take part. I will do my part in making a thousand stories like that
0: come true. Amen.
1: Thank you for letting me be here with you. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Let's go outside the walls of this church and do it again.
0: You speak my language, Larry. Love you, man. Thank you. Love you. I want to share one verse. And two thoughts. The verses in Romans 12, or Romans 15, verses two and three, it says this, each one of us needs to look after the good of people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? Can I challenge us, church family, to not only come yourself, but bring one other person with you, one other family, Go out and ask one of your business partners, maybe your dentist, your doctor, I don't know, the cleaners that you go to. We've got information. Get a a sponsor. Ask, how can I help? And as you do, I had this thought when I was in Haiti, and I wrote this down. In fact, you can write this down. As you look at people who need help, look for Jesus, disguised as a hurting person. They may be a person on the soccer field that's hurting and in all kinds of pain. And yeah, you got your struggles, but you see Jesus in them and you help. Or they may be a person at the water cooler who's going through some relational pain in their life. You see Jesus in them and you help them. Or you may see a homeless person with their kids, sleeping in a car, and I've gotten those phone calls. And you stop, and you see Jesus in them, and you help them. Now, I want to speak to those of us that are really in pain right now. And I want to ask you to write down three things as we close. Understanding that when you're in pain, it is hard to focus on helping others. But remember these three things as you are going through pain. And we'll talk about this after Easter. But number one, remember that Jesus cares about your pain. You see, if you were there 2,000 years ago at the cross, at the foot of it, Jesus would have noticed you. He would have focused right in on you. Your pain matters to Jesus Christ. Secondly, accept love from others. If, don't shut yourself off from community. Today we're having a care fair. It's out in the lobbies. We have Stevens ministers who will walk with you through your pain over a two-year period of time. We have counselors that you can talk with and maybe set up appointments with. They're out in the lobby. We have Grief Share. Maybe you've lost someone. We've got Grief Share. You can talk with them, and we're starting that here pretty soon. We have an assisted living institution that's in our community called Day Springs that would love to talk with you and give you information if you've got older parents and that burden and pain, so to speak, is coming in your life to help you navigate it. Just free advice. Don't shut yourself off. And then finally, look for somebody else you can help. Give in your pain. And how is that possible to do these three things? You have to get close to Jesus. You see, Mary and John... We're at the foot of the cross. They were close to Jesus, weren't they? They would have missed out on Jesus caring for them and helping them to move beyond where they were at if they were not close to Jesus. For you and I to get through our pain, you have to be close to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, you are an awesome God. That while you were dying on a cross in an excruciating amount of pain, you were willing to stop the most important act in human history and to meet a need. God, may that be true of us, your people. May we be those who see a need and mean and need, God. Regardless of what we may be going through and trusting those things to you, allowing your supernatural power to move in us and to move through us for the glory of God and for the good of others. God, I just want to pray for those of us right now that are just in that situation that that they're just in pain, whether it's relational pain or vocational pain or financial pain or or mental or emotional pain. God, whatever the pain is, God, I want to ask you, God, that you would minister to them, that Jesus would show up in their hearts and their minds, that you would show up, God, for them in their day tomorrow and in the next day, and that they would draw close to you because you have drawn close to them. And so, God, We give you this. May we be the church as we leave this building. May we be the church to a world that is hurting and helpless and hopeless. And yes, homeless, God. Help use us, God, for your glory and for our good. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, let's go ahead.